0: Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Welcome to session two of Momentum, where we're pursuing God's blessings through the Beatitudes. Now, nobody wants to be poor. So you may wonder, how can the poor in spirit possibly be blessed? And heaven's a long way from the realities of our world and life here. So what can we know of the blessing of heaven here and now? Well, we're going to be looking at the first beatitude, and the message of this beatitude is one that our culture desperately needs to hear. Poor in spirit is the first mark of a person who walks with God. Take Isaiah, for example. He was a gifted and a godly preacher, and if he was in ministry today, people would be cramming into conferences to hear him speak. If he was on Twitter, he'd have millions of followers. But sometime into his ministry, Isaiah had a remarkable experience in which he saw a vision of God sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. Angels flew around the throne, calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The foundations of the building shook, smoke filled the temple, and Isaiah, the gifted and godly prophet said, woe is me, for I'm ruined. Well, if Isaiah felt that he was ruined in the presence of God, where would that leave the rest of us? The world saw Isaiah's gifts and his talents But in the presence of God, Isaiah only saw his own need. See, coming close to God made him poor in spirit. Now, you may be a multi-talented sports star or a high flyer in business. You may be a mega mother, a brilliant musician, a technical guru, or a political genius. But if you have truly met with God, you'll know that standing alone in His presence, you'd be lost. See, pride can only live in the soul of a person who's far from God. When God comes near, pride has to go. And that's what happened to Isaiah. In the presence of God, the gifted prophet became poor in spirit. And Jesus says that's where blessing begins. Becoming poor in spirit goes against the grain of our self-affirming culture. You know, it sometimes seems to me that parents, teachers, counselors, politicians, advertisers, and sometimes even pastors conspire to tell us how great we are. And apart from a miracle of God's grace, we're likely to believe them. Wisdom calls for us to trust God and doubt ourselves. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. But our culture turns that on its head and says, trust yourself and doubt God. Well, that inversion is as old as the Garden of Eden, and it's all around us. So, let's be clear. The teaching of Jesus is the opposite of the creed that says, believe in yourself. Jesus doesn't say, believe in yourself. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. So, the person who says, believe in yourself, is actually tempting you to put yourself in the place of God, and that's idolatry. Now, I'm a dad, and having raised two sons, I've stood on the sidelines of their games and shouted, you can do it with everybody else. I regularly tell my sons that I'm proud of them. Affirmation matters. But let's be thoughtful about how we speak to our children, especially in the teachable moments of life. See, it's not really a good reflection of our faith in Jesus Christ for a father, a mother, a counselor, or a friend to pump a Christian's ego by constantly reinforcing the you can do it message that pervades our culture. It's a much better reflection of our Christian faith to say something like, you know, the Lord is with you and he's not going to fail you, and you can do all things through Christ, who gives you strength. The promise of Jesus to the poor in spirit is, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, did you notice that the promise is in the present tense? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, heaven's a future blessing, so we might have expected Jesus to say, blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. But our Lord doesn't say that. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, Jesus is talking about a taste of heaven that you can enjoy right now. Now, life in this world is a long way from heaven. Think about it, nations no longer waging war redeemed people made perfect, all tears wiped from our eyes. Not where I live. So, what taste of heaven can the poor in spirit have now? Well, the poor in spirit taste the greatest blessing of heaven, which is the presence of God. See, God says, I would dwell in a high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. God lives in two places. He dwells in heaven, the high and holy place, and he also lives with the person who has a contrite and lowly spirit. That means that if you want to experience the blessing that comes from the felt awareness of God's presence in your life, you have gotta begin by humbling yourself. Now, God often uses the harder experiences of our lives to get us there. So when you find yourself saying, I don't have what it takes to face this, God says to you, I will dwell with you there. And when you feel overwhelmed by the power of temptation, God can use the intensity of your struggle to break your pride and to make you poor in spirit. And if that happens, the battle that might have brought you to despair can become the means of bringing you to a new place of blessing. Now, people who feel that they have something to offer God, they come to him with their hands full. But as long as your hands are full, you're not in a position to receive. The Puritan writer Thomas Watson said, if the hand is full of pebbles, it can't receive the gold. So people who are poor in spirit, they drop the pebbles because they want the gold and they know that it can only be received by empty-handed believers. When you know that you have nothing to offer God, you're in a position to receive everything that he offers to you. So, empty-handedness is where the blessing of God begins. In the study, I've outlined seven blessings for empty-handed believers. Here are three of them to get us started empty-handedness will release you from the idea that God owes you. Now, God made you. He's your creator. And that means that he owns you and that you have a duty towards him. But it's real easy, especially in our culture, to forget this and to slide into thinking that God's the one who has a duty towards us. We get the idea that we're the ones who should be writing a sort of job description for God, a kind of 10 commandments of what we require of him. Thou shalt provide a level of income that will sustain us in our chosen lifestyle. Thou shalt give us joy and fulfillment in mutually satisfying relationships. Thou shalt insulate us from, and our loved ones, from the sufferings that are experienced by others in this world, and woe to God if he does not meet our expectations. Well, you can see that pride is written all over that kind of thinking. It's pride that says, I gave something to God, and now he owes me something bigger and better back. As long as your heart is there, you're on a path to bitterness, disappointment, and resentment. The blessing of God belongs not to those who list their demands for him, but to the poor in spirit who humble themselves before him. And that means getting off the idea that God owes you The person who is poor in spirit says, I'm the one who owes God everything and I can give him nothing and God owes me nothing, but he's given me everything. A second blessing of empty handedness is that it will help you to bear affliction. See, how do you prepare as a Christian when you know that difficult days lie ahead? Well, The apostle Peter tells us, he says, you must humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So, if I give way to pride, God's going to stand against me. I would come under his discipline, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So, the pursuit of humility, it might not be the first thing you would think of with regards to finding strength to face difficulty, but since God gives grace to the humble, it follows that humility will help you to stand and to endure through the hardest times in your life. A third blessing of empty-handedness is that it will release you from the tyranny of self. Now, self has more than one way of making you a slave. And if the focus on pride in this study seems remote to you, it could be that your temptation is not so much to love yourself, but to despise yourself. Instead of being trapped by self-love, you get ambushed by self-loathing. A.W. Tozer is the writer who's really helped me here. He points out that boasting about yourself and belittling yourself are actually different versions of the same problem living under the tyranny of self. Boasting means that you're pleased with yourself. Belittling means that you don't like what you see. The person who struts around boasting about their own achievement and the person who hides away bemoaning their own inadequacies, they really do face the same problem. Both are dominated by self. So in the end, it actually makes very little difference whether you're swaggering or whether you're groveling. Both are equally destructive. Self may exalt you, or self may condemn you, but either way, self is in control, and self is always a tyrant. Now, one of the great blessings of being poor in spirit is that you're no longer focused on yourself and what you can do for God, but you're focused on Jesus Christ and on what He can do for you. Cultivate humility, and as you do, the tyrant will be overthrown. We began this session with the story of how Isaiah became poor in spirit as he felt the weight of his sins in the presence of God. But you know, there's more to being poor in spirit than knowing our sins and our need as Isaiah did. Jesus was humble and there was no sin in him. Think about it, the humility of Jesus did not spring from an awareness of sin because he had none. It came from another source. Andrew Murray says that humility is being clothed with the beauty and blessedness of Jesus. Think about that, to be clothed with the beauty and the blessedness of Jesus. When you see that's what humility is, you'll be motivated to pursue it. Being poor in spirit is part of becoming like Jesus, who humbled himself. He said, I can do nothing on my own. He said, I have not come to do my own will. He said, I don't seek my own glory. These are the words of the Son of God. Well, how much more should they be mine? To be poor in spirit is where the blessing of God begins. Humility is really the gateway blessing that leads to all the others. And without this, none of the other blessings can be reached. Now ahead of us, are other blessings that include forgiveness and purity and peace. But I'm glad that the Beatitudes don't start there. If being pure in heart was the starting point for growth in the Christian life, none of us would ever get started. But it's not. Being poor in spirit is where we begin. And thank God the starting point is within reach for us all. Now I'm here to encourage you to get on this first ring today. Humble yourself and come to Jesus Christ. Ask him to give you what you do not have and then trust him, look to him, believing his promise that he will come to you, live with you and bless you. Christians are people who know their own poverty. They look to Jesus for what they do not have and we find in him all that we need.